Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. We're Judges 8 still. In Judges 8, we're still moving along here. Uh, Gideon and the 300, they led the attack against the Midianites, and they won, of course. And uh, the Midianites had oppressed them for seven years, but now the Midianite army is destroyed. They're done. They're gone. And it was a complete and total success. And that's one of the great things about trusting in the Lord. It's always a complete and total success when you trust in Him. And so, because the Lord had promised Gideon this, and the promise came true. So good. And, you know, it's like I always say, when the Lord makes a promise, He delivers. When He makes a promise, He delivers. Whenever you see a promise of God, go, aha, that's for me, and it's going to happen because the Lord said so. You don't have to wonder if He can pull it off. He will pull it off. You better believe it. And so that's what we saw Gideon do. He trusted in the Lord. Now, all this is done. The Midianites are wiped out. That's done. a done deal. Now what happens? Uh, Judges 8 and 22. This is about Gideon's ephod. Judges 8 and 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. Okay, they want to start a dynasty. They want to start a dynasty with Gideon. You know the show Duck Dynasty. (laughs) I love that show. Uh, They started the duck call business. It was started by Phil Robertson. Now his son Willie Robertson runs it, and they plan to pass it down the family. Well, that's what a dynasty is. One guy rules, he passes it to the son, to the grandson, and pass it down. Well, they wanted to start this dynasty setting him up as king. Now, this is very tempting. Wow, you want to make me king? You think, man, I'm going to be set up real good, and my kids will be set up after me? That's going to be great. Well, let's find out how that goes, Judges 8 and 23. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. I think that was a good thing to say. So not only did Gideon refuse becoming king, but when you consider the standpoint of his sons behind him, because they wanted to make this a dynasty, it means that Gideon refused it for them too. He didn't just refuse it for himself. He refused it for for his offspring behind him. Now, you can imagine how that might cause some hard feelings. Imagine you're the son of Gideon. You think, I could be king next. But dad said no. Can you, can you feel how this would maybe burn somebody up? And so consider the size of this decision here that Gideon had just made. He was so adamant about not being king that he even refused even his own family from having it also. Now, one major trait that's built into us men, it's kind of in our DNA that's built into a man, is to see to the stability of his family's future, to see to his family's security after him. And so Gideon had a, a, quite a good opportunity here if he wanted it, if he had said, yeah, I'll be king. Man, I got my whole line. Man, we're, we're set. And his whole line could have been set for life, but Gideon said no. He said no. 
I want us to remember something very important here. Judges 6. If you think back to Judges 6, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And whenever the Spirit of the Lord is upon somebody, they're going to do things and they're going to say things that's according to God's will. The Spirit of God comes upon you. You're going to react in things that works in line with what God wants according to God's will. And that will often be contrary against your own will to be for God's will. Now, I don't think Gideon realized the fullness of what he said here when he said, no, the Lord shall rule over you. I'm not going to be king. The Lord shall rule over you. That was huge. Gideon spoke in agreement with God about the coming king who would ultimately sit on the throne of David, who's king, who is King Jesus. Gideon says, I'm not going to be king. The Lord is going to rule over you. That's like prophetic talk right there about who's coming eventually. And God's Word has a prophetic lineage already established, an ancestral line of the Messiah, King Jesus, that will come from King David. There's a line that's already been said will come come along for that. But Gideon is not part of that prophetic line. Gideon's not in that line. And so if Gideon had made a decision according to his own will, rather than under the influence of the Holy Spirit, then he would have said, yes, I will be your king. Oh, look how look what's going to happen to my family. My sons are going to love me. It's all going to be good for them. I'll be your king. But then that would have placed Gideon into direct conflict with God's prophetic word. He couldn't say that, not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? Now, if you recall the story of King Saul, Israel wanted him to rule. We want Saul to rule. God said no. God said no, not him. But Israel, they adamantly refused to listen to God, and they insisted on making Saul king. So God said, okay, set him up as king, but you're going to get in big trouble for it. You're really going to pay for this. God was going to basically teach him a lesson over that. It wasn't supposed to be Saul to rule in this case. Things did not turn out good for Israel because of that. It didn't turn out good for Saul either. It was not God's will for Saul to be king like that. It was David was to be and uh, was to rule because David was in the prophesied ancestral line. Now I believe that Gideon here he knew by the Spirit of God that it was wrong for him to become king, and so even though man logic would say, "Hey, this is the opportunity to set your family up." This is the opportunity to see your whole line security after you. Man, you'll be doing them such a good favor, won't you? You'll be doing so good for your family if you say yes to this. But the problem was, it wouldn't be saying yes a good thing to God, would it? It wasn't Gideon's place to be king. And so it made better godly sense to reject the position of king. And he said, no, the Lord will rule over you. And King Jesus is going to sit on that throne. What Gideon said is yet going to happen. Judges 8 and 24. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you, that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So they answered, we will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment, and each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. Now, the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes, which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were around their camel's necks. Okay, so 
Gideon rejected the opportunity at becoming king, but he did take occasion to request the plunder. Now, these gold earrings, it says, what, 1,700 shekels of gold, that comes out to about 43 pounds. That's a lot of gold. And by the way, if you look in the Bible how it says way, way back then, this is way before Christ, all this is going down. They're using shekels. Okay, if you go to Israel today, they pay with shekels. I have shekels at home that I brought back. That, that's proof that God is bringing his people back like he said. They're back to their language. They're back to their land. <laughs> they're back to their currency. It's so good. They still use shekels. But anyway, that's a lot of gold here. But so what does Gideon do with all this gold? What happens? Judges 8.27. Then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in his city, Ophrah. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. Now, what's an ephod? An ephod is the garment that the priests would wear. The priestly attire that they put on is, is an ephod. And so Gideon has the gold made into an image of an ephod. Let's melt it all down and let's shape it out and we'll, we'll make it look like an ephod. And he set it up somewhere in his city. And it, as we've just read, it just it brought a lot of trouble. Now, um, we're not entirely clear why he did this or what the significant nature of this ephod meant to them, because the Bible just doesn't give us much information. It just says he set it up and it caused trouble. Um, but from the looks of it, uh, to help me understand, because I like to try to figure out why, if I was to make an educated guess, perhaps maybe Gideon was trying to emphasize the priesthood of God to the people of Israel. Maybe he figured, and I'm just suggesting, maybe he figured that it would have been good to turn this plunder into representing an ephod for everybody to see it so they would think about priestly work. I think that was probably Gideon's intention, but apparently the idea backfired because it caused Israel to play the harlot. Um, it also became a problem to Gideon in his house. So how could this have become such a problem for everybody? I mean, what's going on? Uh, again, we don't have specifics. I'm just kind of gauging this by the setting of the day that we already know about. So I think the Bible doesn't tell us because the specifics aren't that important here. But what's, what's important is that the golden ephod caused trouble. Again, educated guess, uh, it could be that the people took the golden ephod as an idol to be worshipped. I mean, they were kind of used to that sort of thing. Images and graven images that were set up that maybe they went to uh, worship it. And so they're bowing to this ephod rather than maybe for the purpose that Gideon set it up for. Because it does say that Israel played the harlot there. So I'm led to believe that the people ended up worshiping the golden ephod since they were accustomed to bowing down before graven images. I mean, we did see that Gideon took down the image of Baal. They're used to this. It's in their culture. Their culture has taught them bow to images. So that's what they probably did. Now, if this were the case, I would bet that the golden ephod ended up interfering with the work of the Lord's priests. The priests are trying to do their work, but people are distracted because of this golden ephod. It says the golden ephod caused people to play the harlot. What is, what is a harlot? It's a prostitute. A prostitute goes with someone else. Not with, not with, they're not in an actual relationship like a marriage. And so I think this golden ephod became a problem to the men who were wearing the real ephods. There were real priests that wore real ephods. And now here's this golden ephod up over here in this town. Everybody's bowing to that thing. Can you see the mess that probably came up out of this? 
I'm not saying we have information that says that's what happened. I'm speculating based on the circumstances and the environment of the day and the way people thought that this could be what happened. It's my best view of setting up how this golden ephod caused trouble for getting in the people. Again, we don't have specific information, but we have an overall understanding of the people and their ways to determine how it might have caused trouble. But whatever happened, what we learn from this story is this, never mix religion with worship. Never mix religion with worship. What do I mean by that? Because when some people hear the word religion, they think, well, that's just how I believe. Just whatever I believe. Religion varies from one place to another. God has one absolute truth. God does not want your religion. He doesn't want, well, what I believe, what I believe, what I believe. He wants your relationship. He doesn't want your religion. He wants your relationship. He wants you. He wants your commitment, your affection. And when it says Israel played the harlot, guys, harlots don't have relationship with you. They don't love you. They don't care about you. They just want the money. When they played the harlot, They left their relationship. And so I'm trying to use the information I have in the Bible here to try to determine probably what happened with this golden ephod. God wants you personally, in your entirety, setting up idols and images and other, what shall I call it, external things. Oh, God, I did a, I have a wonderful job, God. I have a lot of money. I have all this stuff. Oh, God's so wonderful. Look at that. God doesn't care. He wants you internally, not your external. God wants your inner intimacy with you. What religion does is it establishes man as the aggressor who acts first, and then God is the beneficiary who responds to what man does. Christianity does it the complete opposite way around. It's the other way. God is the aggressor who acted first, and then man is the beneficiary who responds. God acted first towards our salvation because we're sinners. He acted first by sending Jesus to die on the cross. Then we respond to his love by believing and become recipients of his grace. What religion will do to you, religion will tell you, you need to work harder to be good enough. You have to work to get to this level that you just can't quite, but if you try a little harder, you might get there. That's what religion tells you. Work harder, work harder, work harder, and you'll get good enough that God will like you. But we'll never be good enough. That's the problem. We're sinners. We'll never be good enough. That's why Jesus paid for our salvation to buy us back. And when you start injecting religion into the equation, it starts to mess things up. And this ephod messed things up. God never commanded Gideon to make a golden ephod, did he? He never told him to do it. That's something that Gideon tried to add to the scenario, and it caused a lot of trouble. Friends, don't try to add to the scenario. Don't try to add what you think is right. Just follow God's Word and do what He tells you to do, and follow that and obey Him in that, and that will be better. When you try to, well, God, I can do this other thing, and you start doing that works-based Religion, again, it's going to mess things up. And I think that's what happened with ephod. I think Gideon probably had good intentions with making this golden ephod, but it backfired. Now, we really have to watch what we do when it comes to good intentions. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, 
but its end is death. It doesn't work. Don't try to come and bring in what you think is right. If God hadn't told you to do it, and if it doesn't say so in the Bible, always run your thoughts through prayer and up against God's word before you make a move. Ask yourself these questions first. When you want to put into something, ask yourself these questions. First of all, did God tell me to do it? Did God tell me to do it? (laughs) And secondly, is it biblical? Did God tell me to do it, and is it biblical? Does it line up with God's word? Does it line up with his will? You don't want to cause unnecessary trouble for yourself like the golden ephod did for Gideon. But what else can we learn from this? We learn that even good guys like Gideon can still make mistakes. Good intention mistakes, but still mistakes. It caused trouble. I don't think he intended it to come out like this. You know, we are all sinners. We are all imperfect, especially the guy that you're looking at up here at this pulpit. But I'm saved. I'm forgiven. And even even though Gideon made a mistake, here's what's important that leads into the next segment of the story. Even though he made a mistake and it caused all this trouble, that does not mean that he was suddenly rejected by God. A lot of people think, I can be so good and so good and saved, but as soon as I mess up, God doesn't want me anymore and I'm out the door. God's going to kick me out. No, God did not reject him because look, Judges 8.28, it says, Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their heads no more, and the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. 40 years. They got peace for 40 years in Gideon's days. The guy that just messed up. The guy that made the golden ephod and it became a snare to his house and caused Israel to play the harlot. All his days was peace now. Why? How does this work? Because the world tells you if you mess up, you lose the blessing. That God revokes the promises from you. That's not true. God still granted him peace. Why did God grant Gideon peace and keep that peace that that he told Gideon? Why, Why did Gideon keep that peace all his days? Because God promised it. I want you to jot that if you're writing notes. Because God promised it. Well, Gideon, you just messed up. Yeah, but I've got God's promise. God's promise is in Judges 6 and 14. He told him, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And then in Judges 6.24, it says, So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. The Lord is Peace. We have the Lord's Peace. Now, did Gideon make a mistake? Yes. He did something. It caused a mess. But his faith brought in God's peace. It brought in God's peace. Gideon wasn't perfect by any means. Neither am I. And you know neither are you. <laughs> Ray, why'd you look at me when you said that? I'm just glancing. Don't, don't take it personal. This is where I stare at the ceiling. Neither are you. <laughs> and so here's the reward for the faithfulness, the result of the promise. Forty years of peace during Gideon's days. You know, I always hear people say, and, they, and, and oftentimes they try to argue this point, that God will revoke, he will take salvation away from you. If you do something wrong, if you mess up, well, guess what? You're going to mess up. You're sinful. Just get over it. But you're forgiven, too. Now, the problem is that if God did that, if God removed his salvation from us every time we messed up, 
then God would have to break his promise. He would have to break his promise. Friends, God did not base his promise of salvation, of peace, upon imperfect us. He didn't base it on us. God based his promise of salvation upon his perfect son, Jesus Christ. It's based on Jesus, not you. And because he did it that way, God is able to make salvation an ironclad promise that you can take comfort in, that you can take assurance in, that you can take peace in when he promises it to you. I'll show you that promise so that you'll know it. Romans 10 and 13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will probably be saved, will most likely be saved, has a pretty good chance of being saved, probably better than 90% chance of being saved. What does it say? What does God's Word say? Don't let religion get in here. What does the truth of God's Word say? It says, shall be saved. That's the same as will be. Now this, I, I can feel it, this in no way, shape, nor form gives you the opportunity to have a sin license. Well, no matter what I do, I'm saved. Let's just go party. No, that doesn't do that. That's a whole other sermon I've already taught on many times. And I know that people have been arguing over this topic for centuries, but when you consider that God cannot break a promise, that God will not break a promise, and that God has not ever broken a promise, then you know that what God promises, God does. He says, when you accept my son, you will be saved. That's going to happen. But you have to have been the one that was genuine when you accepted it. It's not just say the prayer and, oh, I'm good, let's go sin. It's you meant it for genuine, real. You get the Holy Spirit sealed in you, and God is going to change you. You're going to leave that old life you used to walk in. But you will be saved. That's so good. Again, let me back up a tad. Should Gideon have made the golden ephod? No. But God did not cut off his peace because of it. He promised that peace, and Gideon still has it for 40 years. Even though it brought trouble to his house, even though it brought trouble to Israel, God promised that peace, and now Gideon keeps it for 40 whole years. I want you to know something. Satan tells you that you're so bad, that you're so messed up, that you can never be saved. Somewhere along the line, you're going to mess up, and God's going to take the salvation away from you again because you did something wrong, and you're just going to go to hell, and that's it, and you're going to live with this burden on you, just going to crush you for the rest of your life. I want you to get that burden off today. I want you to understand God's Word says, for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That can be you, and you don't have to worry another thing about it. But don't think that means you can sin all you want to. Now you get to obey all you want to, actually. I just love it when people go, you can't sin all you want. That shows the way they're thinking. <laughs> when I got saved, I thought, I get to obey all I want. Just depends on where your mind's at. So I want you to know also that it is written, Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll probably be saved. I love the looks I get on people's face when I read it, purposely wrong like that, because you're shaking your head, no, that's not what it says, Ray. Well, hear me right. It says, if you do this, that God believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Underline, circle, put explosions around it. I don't care what you do. Put it around will be. That is a promise. I'm showing you the promises of God. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. 
Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.